You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney Podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell. I could be moving from my office to being one of those absolute degenerates that smells like moldy cheese and death. And national recruiting analyst, Adam Gorney. Grover isn't around as much, but uh, Oscar the Grouch is still around a lot. Elmo has taken a prominent role. I mean, he's like the main character. That's right. Welcome to another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. My name is Dave Barry, and I'm joined by the stars of the show, Mike Farrell and Adam Gorney. Guys, we've got a lot to cover, a lot of action in the college football world over the weekend. So, Mike, I know you want to start uh, talking about Trevor Lawrence at Clemson getting the start. Um, So I'll let you roll with that. Yeah, it's pretty clear Davos when he reads my amazing column that comes out on Monday mornings because uh, I wrote about it yesterday that it was time to get Trevor Lawrence the starting nod. You know, he's the, clearly the more talented quarterback when you compare him and Kelly Bryant. He doesn't run as well as Bryant, but he does everything else better. So now he's going to start against Syracuse. Uh, it looks like first-team reps are going to Nikosi Perry at Miami, and uh, Ian Book is already pretty much clearly the guy at Notre Dame ahead of Brandon Wimbush. So I think it's kind of rare for three top 10 teams. If, if Miami's top 10, I don't even know what they're ranked right now, but three teams that are close to top 10, obviously Clemson and Notre Dame being in the top 10 to have quarterback switches at this stage of the season. Um, but we're talking about very young, very talented quarterbacks in certain situations. And Brandon Wimbush just hasn't worked out. Yeah, and I can't argue with any of the three, really. Uh, Kelly Bryant's been fine, but Trevor Lawrence is just a special quarterback. Last weekend had four touchdown passes and, and looked awesome. Um, and so I can't argue with that that switch. Um, Brandon Wimbush, the offense was really stalled. Nothing was really working out for them. They had, they had been 3-0, and but they had no double-digit wins. They were in the 20-point range every game, and that can only last so long. So Ian Book comes in against Wake Forest, gets the start which was, I, I think, a little surprising as of Saturday morning. It didn't seem like anybody had really known that or reported it. Ian Book gets the start at Wake Forest, which was supposed to be kind of a close game. I think the spread was six or seven in that game. Notre Dame ended up blowing them out. Book threw for two touchdowns, ran for three. So he adds another dynamic there. Um, you know, Wake Forest kind of hyped up a little bit more than they probably should have been. We'll see as Notre Dame moves through here. You know, they have Stanford this week, Virginia Tech. We could talk about Virginia Tech and your shame, I'm sure. but um, So it's not going to be easy for Notre Dame. They have two tough defenses to go against here coming up. We'll see how Book does. And Nikosi Perry, everybody knows Malik Rozier can't throw an accurate football. He throws it 15 yards out of bounds. We saw that against LSU. So <clears throat> transitioning those three is interesting. It's I think it's also interesting, Mike, that Justin Fields hasn't seen the field a whole lot more at Georgia. It seems like Fromm is the guy then when they need to run – you know, a little bit of wildcat or, or do something, you know, unique, Justin Fields will come in the game. But we haven't seen him nearly as much as I thought we were going to. Well, I, I would look Justin Fields in the eyes and say, what do you expect? Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the true freshman quarterback, Jake Fromm, led them to the national championship game last year. It's not like he was going to just start being horrible and, and sucking and, 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 you know, it was going to be the situation where he was going to come in and take the job. Hey, Kelly Bryant led him to the to the playoffs. Yeah, it's different, though. I mean, you know, Fromm was completing, what, like 70-something percent of his nah, passes? Yeah, yeah. Fromm He's is extremely efficient. He's a better passer. 
Kelly Bryant is not a good passer. I mean, he's 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 adequate, but he's certainly not a guy that is going to pick you apart from the pocket. They're diff- two different type of quarterbacks. Same with Justin Fields and and uh, Jake Fromm. But um, you know, Kelly Bryant leading Clemson to the playoff, you know, was a little bit different to me. Everybody expected them to get there. They had a tremendous uh, supporting cast, and uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is also much better than Justin Fields, even though we had them. One two last year, the gap was pretty pretty extraordinary to me when it comes to quarterbacks. Now you know, Justin Fields could be the next guy. Fromm could be a three and out guy, and you know he could step in there and be great. He could transfer like most kids are doing these days. But um, you know whatever he decides to do, I think he could have a very good career. There's no doubt about it, and nobody's talking about him being a bust or anything like that. But Trevor Lawrence is on a different level. Um, I never saw anybody as good in high school. You know, Josh Rosen was the best I saw before Trevor Lawrence. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be a long time before I see anybody close to as talented as Trevor Lawrence in high school again. So, um, you know, just just more of a special player. And, and I think it's a situation where Clemson knows they have a solid number two guy right now. Um, they don't need to go to him if they don't have to. But they could go to Kelly Bryant with his experience if they need to. Um, you know, Georgia, not in that position. Justin Fields has looked good. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, if they really need to win a football game, I don't think they can rely on him the way that Clemson can rely on Trevor Lawrence. No, I agree. And, you know, you can't you can't sit Jake Fromm. He's been so good uh, in every situation. Uh, the offense continues to move down the field and be perfect in in every situation. Um, so, you know, I have no complaints for Jake Fromm seeing the field a whole lot against Missouri and, and in every game because this looks like a team that's destined to go back to the college football playoffs. I got dark. And is talented enough. Um, you know, they might be in a situation, much like Alabama was last year, they didn't play in the SEC championship, but even if they do play in the SEC championship this year and lose, I could still see Georgia and Alabama making the, the playoff. Mm, that's a tough one. I don't know if that's going to happen two years in a row. There'll be a lot of SEC bias calls out there if that happens. But you, you, you go around the country and you watch, you watch the games. I mean, these are the two, two of the four best teams in the country. Yeah. Um, but who are you going to leave out? I mean, you're going to you're going to screw over Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma screwed over themselves by almost well, losing to Army. So they didn't losing. They didn't, they didn't lose. I mean, they they almost lost, but they didn't lose. They're still undefeated. So if Oklahoma goes undefeated in the Big Twelve, which is not a bad conference at all. I mean, there's some no, it isn't. football teams in there. Um, you're just going to leave an undefeated Oklahoma team out because Georgia lost to Alabama in the SEC title game. Obviously, Clemson. You expect them to run the table and get in. You expect Ohio State to get in as well. There's a lot of football to be played, obviously, but I, I don't know. I mean, if it's two years in a row where Georgia loses the SEC title game and, you know, well, not two years in a row, but let's say they lose to Alabama in the SEC title game and they get in the playoff, I just, I don't know. I, I think that's a tough call for the committee. That's why we should be at eight. That's definitely yeah. why we should be at eight because it solves all these problems. Them, yeah, and you can put them at a five. And people say, "Well, that ruins the regular season." No, it doesn't. Don't be stupid. You know, yeah. it's still a, an elimination sport. You know, you lose like Wisconsin did. 
you're you're out right now. I mean, there's no way Wisconsin's going to get in the in the playoff unless they run the table and beat Ohio State in the championship game, and the chances of that happening have got to be like nine percent. Um, right. However, if you've got eight, you know, then Wisconsin's still got a chance. Um, so if you lose a game in your third week of the season and you're eliminated, I think you expand the playoff, and they will expand the playoff. I mean, the, the people who say they won't are stupid too. The same stupid people who said that they wouldn't have a playoff at all. In I mean, the first place. This is the way it's going to be. We'll eventually be at 16 teams. I'll be dead, uh, I would imagine. But, um, you know, that'll be fun for me, honestly, being dead. Me too. Oh, I mean, uh, not me. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't living too much longer than me there, buddy. You're younger. That's the only advantage you have right now. Other, other than that, it's not like you're... Uh, you know the picture of longevity, long, longevity, longevity, and you know health. And so I, I don't know. I know you're eating salads and stuff like that, but uh, you know it's still not going to help you. You live a sports writer's life. You got a laptop on your lap, eighty-five percent of the time. You never move. Your lymphatic system is probably screaming because nothing ever gets flushed out and uh, you're, you're dying a slow death just like me <laughs> well so I think these are all three good quarterback moves Ian book is the defensive coordinator killer Wake Forest firing their defensive coordinator I think that was a result of the back-to-back just awful defensive performances against Boston College and against Notre Dame I mean clearly if you can't defend the Catholic schools then you're gonna get fired that's the way it works my dog is about to chase the cat in my office, which will probably unplug my microphone um, because the the cat is currently trolling the dog. Have you ever <laughs> seen a cat troll a dog? Well, the dog has to stand up for itself. The dog does, but the cat just like walks by it all slow, saunters past the dog, like, oh, you look at me, attack me. And then when the dog does attack it, the cat just kicks its ass. It's really the dog's so stupid. <laughs> All right, so let's get to let's get to Virginia Tech. I mean, what the heck was that? That was awful. And now it's it apparently um, Josh Jackson has a fractured leg, so he's done. Virginia Tech, I thought, was the best team in the coastal after they beat Florida State, and then they end up losing to Old Dominion. That was just disgusting. Yeah, that was embarrassing. That was almost as bad as the Vikings' attempt at playing football against the Bills yesterday. But hey, at, quarterback uh, looked good for the Bills, the young buck. <laughs> All the quarterbacks have looked good. Josh Rosen got in yesterday and looked okay, right? I think he's going to end up being the starter there. Their offense is such a disaster that they're going to have to go to Rosen and, and end the Sam Bradford experiment like 15 other teams have done. But the, the only one who hasn't really done anything as a quarterback is Lamar Jackson, correct? Right, yeah, he hasn't done much yet. And I, I don't think the idea was to get him much into games this year anyway. It's to make him a more of a pocket thrower and allow him to work on his accuracy this year. And then when Joe Flacco takes Baltimore to uh, another 8-8 eight and eight season or whatever, then maybe in a year or two he'll get his opportunity. But it doesn't look like anytime soon. But Virginia Tech, Mike, all week long... The, the, the betters are on Virginia Tech. It was a, a low spread. I think it was like 20 or something like that. It might have even been lower. And the, that line just kept going 
lower and lower and lower, which meant somebody knew something about Old Dominion at home on a Saturday night because uh, Virginia Tech looked terrible. Their defense was awful. Old Dominion's offense is garbage. And Virginia Tech, Bud Foster is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. You know, was in line to get the head coaching job at Virginia Tech before they went with Justin Fuente, and they just laid a complete egg. It looked like they didn't even want to be there. Yeah, that was ugly, and, you know, we don't have to focus on that game too much because they don't really deserve the attention uh, having lost that game. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit interesting because you play these games against FBS, and I'm doing air quotes, FBS competition, on the road, and what do you get out of it? I mean, you're supposed Nothing. to get a victory, right? Yeah, right. But if you lose, you're dead. You know, this is App State. This is Michigan App State. And, you know, Michigan was higher ranked, obviously, but now Virginia Tech, I mean, they're just an embarrassed program. Um, Recruiting is going to be affected by it. And, you know, this team is going to take a lot of work to get them back in focus towards their goal, which is to win the ACC, uh, at least their division. Um, So I I just, you know... Fire beware when you take on these games, especially when it's not a one-and-done. A one-and-done's fine. Old Dominion at Virginia Tech once, then you're right. done. But a series where you're playing on the road and you could embarrass yourself this way, um, just not worth it. It's the biggest game in Old Dominion history. There's 20,000 people in the stands, and Virginia Tech doesn't want to be there. So there's no reason to play the game. There's no reason to put yourself in this situation, like why Miami goes to App State. You know, it's it's just uh, I don't get it. It, it. If you win, you're you're expected. It's a no win situation. You win, you're expected to blow them out. If you lose, it's an embarrassment. And Virginia Tech got embarrassed. Let's turn our attention to Stanford, Oregon, so a whopping four people can pay attention to this segment because they they have good fan bases. You know, as far as local loyalty and things like that. But when it comes to the internet and the things we do, my goodness. Nobody cares about either of these football teams, but that was a heck of a game. I mean, Herbert's a fun quarterback to watch. That kid has it. Yeah, yeah, he is good. That offense is good. But what I don't understand is with whatever time was left, 55 seconds or something at second and two, why hand the ball off to a freshman? Why not just kneel the ball and the game would have been over? So I don't get I don't get the play calling there because it – Obviously happened where the kid, you know, stupidly reached out for some extra yardage, got the ball swiped out, and Stanford got the ball. Well, it's bad um, coaching. I mean, bad yeah. coaching is really everywhere. In yeah. the NFL, it's in college football, and they blew that game. I mean, they absolutely blew that game. Um, you know, the touchdown got called back. It looked like a touchdown to me. What did, what did you think? Uh, where Oh, where he hit the pylon? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how that wouldn't have been a touchdown. It was a very strange call. But how about Stanford's just uh, calmness through that pressure? That stadium was rocking. That place was a very loud place. I was in there once. First of all, it has the it had the hardest turf I could have ever felt for field turf. It was like a brick because I think they wanted their players, you know, to be their, their fast guys to get outside and not be in that squishy field turf that you get sometimes. But the stadium, it goes straight up, so the noise stays in there. It's not a huge stadium, but uh, it gets very loud. All the, the kids that I talked to, the recruits that were up there, said it was a very, very loud place. And K.J. Costello showed a lot of guts. You know, 
Bryce Love's been okay this year, but nothing insanely special. And our Sega Whiteside might be one of the best wide receivers in the country, and he goes to him all the time. Just just that calmness that they showed late in the fourth quarter and then into overtime was pretty impressive. And what about my seven foot tight end that I have on my fantasy team? Colby Parkinson, he's the man. That's right, and they got Caden Smith too. I mean, they, yeah. they always have good tight ends at Stanford. They can always play physical. They can always, you know, come up with a key turnover when they need to. But this is the type of game that they win, where they have absolutely no reason to win this football game. They don't deserve to win the football game, and you know they just keep fighting and plugging away. And uh, you know they're they're a, a mentally tough football team, physically tough football team. That was a good game to watch. And it was too bad that Herbert didn't pull it out because he had such a tremendous game. But I think he made himself a lot of money. Um, now let me ask you this: that game. You t- did you watch Drew Locke against uh, Georgia be very, very yep. average? No, I did. You watch you, who's the, who's the number one quarterback on our draft board now, Mike? Well, we Is got it? Stidham too. I don't think Stidham's very average. Yeah. Well, he's in the conversation because he's mobile and. You know, he's got good size. and But I would say Herbert. I think Herbert's yeah. our number one guy. Just remind me when we do that because we got to do a stock up, stock steady, stock down soon. Okay. Just, just remind me just, that I love Justin Herbert. I, I'm a little bit old. I forget stuff. So, okay. Uh, I'll remind you. I'll, I'll make a note. Yeah, make a note. Now, I want to talk Texas. Okay. And I know we're skipping Alabama, and we're skipping Georgia, and we're skipping, you know, we've already talked about Clemson a little bit, and we're skipping some teams here. And we're not going to ignore Georgia, and we're not going to ignore Alabama and Ohio State, but I want to talk Texas. Turning point victory against USC. I feel that the Tom Herman era has finally just begun. Am I nuts or what? No, you're not nuts. I thought they played very good against USC, um, but... USC has its own issues to deal with there. I thought the way that they played against TCU was really impressive. Coming off that USC victory could have been a letdown game. TCU kind of played good enough to beat Ohio State, I thought, two weeks ago, if not for some errors in the second half and kind of blowing it after halftime. You know, they could have been in that game. And so, um, you know, I thought the defense against TCU was phenomenal. Sean Robinson made a lot of mistakes. Um, kind of as expected, we we weren't incredibly high on Sean Robinson coming out of high school, but I thought that the this could this could be a turning point for them. That the schedule remains difficult. They're, the the Big Twelve every week is kind of a tough conference this year. We'll see how it goes, um, but they're three and one. Um, you know, Maryland continues to be a thorn in their side. If not, they could be four and zero, oh, and we could be talking a lot better here. But Colin Johnson has been very good. Lil Jordan Humphrey. I think scored a touchdown or got close. Um, you know, I think that things are turning positive there. I think that people are still a little reserved about how this is going to go long term. Ellinger is not doesn't blow me away at quarterback, but the defense is very very good, and uh, this this could have been a turning point for them because I thought TCU could have gone in there and won the game easily. And there is a superstar budding at Texas, and it's not the quarterback. And he's on the defensive side of the ball, and his name is Caden Stearns. And he's going to go down as one of the best defensive backs to ever play at Texas, which is makes its own argument for DBU every year. Um, that kid is awesome. And yep. I forget what we ended up ranking him. He was a five-star. Um, yeah. I'm very happy because, you know, in, in the Army Bowl, he was outstanding. He was killing people. He was a big hitter in the game itself. He had... 
some key plays. He ended up being 24th nationally, five-star prospect here, number two at his position. Kid is just awesome. I mean, his instincts are off the charts, so um, he really stood out to me as well. Tyreek Johnson, who was number one at the position last year, you got a lot of work to do if you want to be Caden Stern. So there's your there's your wake-up call. And then Jaden Woodby, who was playing at Florida State, who is also outstanding, um, is another one who's going to be very good too. So the safety position last year, B.J. Foster playing as well. Leon O'Neal got playing time against Texas in the Texas A&M-Alabama game. Really good, but Caden Stearns is the man. He is going to be so freaking good. Um, you know, and it's good to see Elliger sort of take a leadership role and start to calm down a little bit. He's been very, very efficient since the Maryland game, and that's what they need because he's obviously the future quarterback for them, at least for this season and, and probably next season. But Texas... Real team, real deal, tough schedule. Um, I forget who's next, but then they got Oklahoma after that. So it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. But uh, this was a big win over TCU, so I want to focus on Texas quite a bit uh, and give them their props. Yeah, and Stearns, like you said, instincts at the Army Bowl all week long in practice. He was phenomenal. He was a kid, I believe, going into the Army Bowl was a four star. We bumped him up after seeing him there. Not a kid that was like physically blowing you away. He didn't look like Derwin James out there, but just a guy who was so smart, was always around the ball, making plays. Kind of, he had a little bit of a Sua Cravens thing that in high school, where he would he would jump, he would make, he would jump on the route before the ball was even thrown. He was almost there too early all the time. It was really impressive to see. So uh, yeah, he's he's become awesome at Texas already, and, and that's a superstar in the making for sure. And he likes to hit, too, so yeah, he, will, yeah. he will not be Sua Cravens, who <laughs> does not like the physical side of football, but no. Caden Stearns does not care if he's sipping his meals through a straw for the rest of his life. That dude don't, is... Don't say that. <laughs> I'm just saying, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Listen, that used to be a compliment. I don't know when it stopped being a compliment, but guys that just do not care have no fear whatsoever and just give up their bodies. I yeah. love those guys. I yeah. hate, as we all know, I hate targeting. I'm, uh, you know, still doing my own independent research on CTE. Um, you and Larry Fedora. Yeah. So me and me and Larry hang out. We talk about it every <laughs> summer. Um, I'll take his Caden Stearns on my team any day of the week. And yeah. I will also take a lefty quarterback any day of the week. And that's, Oh my God. Tongue this below. is the day. This is the day that the, the world has changed. Mark this down. It's unbelievable how good he is. I mean, how efficient he is with the football. He looks like a righty. I think he's throwing with the wrong hand, personally. I think he is a righty. He's just toying with us. And then once he flips <laughs> it around to the right-hand side, then he's going to be a true pro prospect. But right now, he's a great college quarterback who will probably be a Heisman finalist or winner. Um, who will never do anything in the pros because he's a lefty. But I think once he turns it around and starts throwing with his right arm, then you're going to see the real Tua. How about this stat that I came up with, Mike? And you have to give me a compliment for this. Tua and Felipe Franks have the same amount of touchdown passes so far this year. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? Now, Tua has like 300 more passing yards and, and looks like 
Well, also plays half every game. game. <laughs> half of every game. And Felipe um, Franks is in there running for his life every game until the fourth quarter. But, but that is uh, pretty astonishing to even think of that. Yeah. Um, but he's so good, and he's so poised, and there's no situation where he even sweats a little bit. Uh, very much like DJ Wagalele in high school right now is very, very similar to him, but 6'5", and looks like Ben Roethlisberger does the same thing. Never never an issue on the field, never worries, never really makes a bad decision because of pressure. Um, very unlike Kellen Mond on Saturday, let's say. He was also running for his life. Well, um, I felt, felt a little bad. There. Felt bad for him. <laughs> I did. I knew he would be running for his life. I mean, he did it against Clemson, but Clemson's different. Like, once Alabama gets, once they smell blood in the water, yeah, they attack. it's over. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's just it's absolutely amazing. over. So... I knew, plus he doesn't have the weapons. He's got some good young wide receivers and all that good stuff, but they have no running game whatsoever. So no. I knew it would be a, a rough game for him. And, uh, you know, but I love the fact that Alabama is so good that Nick Saban at the end of the game <laughs> at his press conference was begging uh, reporters to write something bad about his football team so he could give them a teaching moment because there's just nothing bad to write about. There isn't, and, and I've watched all those Alabama teams under Saban, and so have you, and you start to come to the conclusion, this might be this might be his best one, because the offense is so explosive, and the defense, the, the, all of the guys haven't been there before, so they're hungry to prove themselves all the time, and it's just, it's, it's a different level of domination and kicking ass, and just complete and utter annihilation, and if... If the offense played the whole game, if Tua was in there for the whole game, this easily could have been seventy to seventy to twenty-one or whatever it was. I mean, it could have been a complete and utter blowout, and they could do that every single week. And they they might not have the most NFL guys right now. That you know that that team with Jonathan Allen and all those guys on the defensive line, and and other years where everybody was was in the NFL, but. Um, these young guys are super hungry, and they're so well-coached and so disciplined. They never make mistakes. And then they're so athletic on, on offense because of Tua and what he's doing. It's just it's really incredible to watch. Yeah, and I think not too far behind him is Georgia, who we talked about a little bit against Missouri. And I love how Georgia fans think, you know, Miko Hardman broke out last year when he had 25 receptions or whatever <laughs> ridiculous amount of receptions he had, which was nothing. But now he's scoring in every game, and yeah. he's a deep threat. Uh, but, you know, Missouri just didn't have the defense. They missed tackles. Um, they blown, There was blown coverage everywhere. Georgia didn't play a very clean game, uh, no. and they still won by a ton. So, so who is the next best team in the SEC East? It's got to be Kentucky, right? It, well, I, I would say it is, yeah. I mean, Kentucky went to Florida and won. Uh, Kentucky beat Mississippi State handily at home, which was impressive because Mississippi State was my dark horse contender here this year, and they just blew it. Um, Benny Snell is very good. Very good. Um, and I have, very I have angry. Another, uh, yeah, Benny's, I love that, too. Benny, Benny's that so too. angry. He, he's so ticked off about everything. Yeah. He's still angry that he was a 5-5-3 a five, five, star. Uh, he's angry that nobody believes Kentucky can win. He's got such a chip on his shoulder, it's pretty amazing. And that is starting to look like a really, really bad ranking right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
I, I guess it would be, but I don't think anybody competes with Georgia. Uh, that Georgia-Florida game is always sort of a toss-up, neutral field, world's biggest cocktail party, or whatever they the PC term is for it now. Um, but, uh, you know, Florida's getting better, and I think Florida's actually kind of an underrated team right now. They've looked much better in, in the last few weeks than they did early on, especially in that Kentucky game. But Kentucky's a good team. The defense is very, very aggressive. Benny Snell is very good. Um, they're throwing the ball okay, but Georgia by far is the best team in the SEC East. Here's another ranking that we should take a look at. It's J.J. Taylor. Now, I know you hate him because he's five foot six. Well, that's the only reason that was... But that's how tall you are. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, I'm five six. I stood next to J.J. Taylor for three years, and I, t- I towered over the kid. <laughs> five six is... Uh, that's that's even being aggressive for him. <laughs> Almost 300 yards, two scores. Look good. Look good. He's getting the carries Khalil Tate should get. Oh, absolutely. And Kevin Sumlin is ruining Khalil Tate. I'll say it right now. Why you have a guy who everyone knows is one of the most dynamic and athletic quarterbacks in the country just sit in the pocket. Now, if you're working on his throwing ability, that's fine. But when you're getting run off the field by Houston and by BYU, then there has to be an issue there. So J.J. Taylor in high school ran the offense, the fastest offense in the country at Corona Centennial. They run five times faster than Oregon ran. It's amazing how fast Corona Centennial's offense ran. And he ran through everybody. Uh, He was surprisingly durable for such a small guy. Uh, He took a lot of big hits and just bounced right back up and kept going. And he continues to do it at Arizona. The reason he was a three-star is because uh, he's, he's a 5'6", five, six. Five, five, six, generously 5'6". So um, there's not much we could do there. Dwayne Haskins, a guy that was 100th nationally that I, going to be honest with you, didn't believe in. Wasn't sure he was a top 100 prospect. Um, he looks like the best quarterback in the country. Uh, I know he's not draft eligible, or, or at least he's not in the discussion with the Herberts of the world and all that stuff. I'm trying to think, is he draft eligible? I don't think so, no. I'm trying to think. I mean, if he is, and he's a year away, but still, he can make every throw. I mean, he looks yeah. just so unbelievable, and it comes out like an absolute cannon. So uh, he, obviously leading Ohio State in Urban's big comeback game, um, just... If you're picking Heisman right now, it's Tua and Haskins, and I'm not sure which order it is. Yeah, I, I don't know which order it is. I, w- I would probably think it's Haskins and then Tua. I think a lot is going to depend on how Haskins looks in Happy Valley this weekend. Um, and then Tua's going to have his opportunities against a pretty good LSU defense, uh, the Auburn game, the SEC championship. Is the Heisman, the Heisman is named, no, right before the SEC championship, right? In between those weeks? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. None, of the, uh, none of the championship games matter, anyway. Matter. It's, it's yeah. pretty much done by then. You can vote. Yeah. When, you know, whenever you want, but most people get their votes in early, and uh, they they don't wait for the playoff games, unless not the playoffs games, but the championship games, unless it's a real close one. But um, you know, it could come down to those two guys for sure. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to make a run at it. To be I actually with do you. too. I yeah. do too. I think he might be in New York as a true freshman, which would you know certainly bode well for our rankings. But who didn't have him number one? We're, there couldn't have been another service out there that had him. 
less than number one, right? Oh, other than ESPN, who had Justin Fields number one. Nobody <laughs> um, else had to have him as number one. Trevor Lawrence is a very good player, and I think he'll be in New York. See how many tackles Kenneth Murphy had, uh, Kenneth Murray had against uh, Army. Yeah, he he set the school record, didn't he, or the FBS record, or something like that. Twenty-eight tackles. Twenty-eight tackles. Almost as many points as Army had. It's freaking unbelievable. And Texas Tech with Cliff Kingsbury, another Big Twelve topic. Big victory over Oklahoma State. Wasn't even close. Talk about an embarrassment for Oklahoma State. But Texas Tech looks good, man. They got that yeah. perfect quarterback, Bowman. They look. Like, not a contender, but they certainly look like a team that's taken him off the hot seat. I'll say this this week, and it could be, we could talk about it on the podcast next week. As good as Texas Tech looked this week is what West Virginia will do to Texas <clears throat> Tech this Saturday. Because really? Oklahoma State, Taylor Cornelius is not Will Greer. Tylen Wallace is not David Sills. Tyron Johnson is not Gary Jennings. They have Marcus Sims. They have a running game. West Virginia, I think, is going to go to Texas Tech. Texas Tech is feeling very good about themselves right now after going to Stillwater and winning that game. I think West Virginia goes in there and wins big. Bigly, Hmm. as Trump would say. Bigly. Well, that'll be interesting to see. A couple more shines here. Michigan, obviously, taking care of Nebraska. We'll talk about Nebraska in a second. Uh, Wisconsin bouncing back after a tough loss, beating a tough Iowa team. I, I had Iowa... That's one of the surprises in the Big Ten this year. I thought they'd play a little bit better in that game, but they were still in there in the fourth quarter. Uh, Will Greer, as you mentioned, to David Sills. Three touchdowns in that combination just can't be stopped. Auburn came back from the loss against LSU. Washington continues to beat teams barely, but they're winning games, and that's all that matters. And then Florida taking care of Tennessee, absolutely routing them. But when you lead with shame... We have to talk about Virginia Tech, which we did. Uh, we have to talk about Oregon when you talk about shame. Oklahoma when you talk about shame. But Nebraska, I mean, that was just embarrassing. That was a half-hearted effort, too. I watched that game. I was flipping. That was an early game, so I was flipping between them and somebody else. I, I forget by two days later. But um, they they looked like they didn't really want to be there all that much, and Michigan just rammed it down their throat and blew them out and um it could have been worse and it's just not looking good and and you know i'm not questioning scott frost and he's gonna turn the thing around and but what's turning it around eight and four nine and three are, are they gonna be wisconsin in five years are they gonna are they gonna beat ohio state and be competitive with penn state and michigan i doubt it um i'd like you know. to know which team Aside from Nebraska, it can sell early playing time more than they can right now. Because yeah. that team is an absolute disaster. Can, ten, can Tennessee recruit and sell early playing time more than Nebraska? It's it's tough call. Yeah. Because they both look like horrible football teams with no leadership whatsoever. Can Florida State sell early playing time more so than, than Nebraska or Tennessee? I mean, which team out there right now can say to a recruit, you come here, you're you're pretty much starting from you're day one. You're pretty much starting, yeah, yeah. There's there's no job that's 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 locked in. No one no one's job is secure. Yeah, the, I'd I'd say those three. Did you see uh, Jeremy Pruitt kick the whiteboard like Daniel Larusa? 
Yeah, I saw the replay of that about 10,000 times. And, <laughs> you know, they apparently had a little issue with one of their players. I think it was Corte Sapp or something who wouldn't go on the game. And but he said that that wasn't true, so there seems to be a little know. disconnect there. But this is what happens when you inherit horrible football teams that are used to losing. Yeah. You try to go in there and change the culture, and culture is a name that, I mean, a, a word that I'm going to use quite a bit um, throughout the year. The culture at Alabama, the culture at Clemson, the culture at Ohio State. I mean, this is why these guys get the big bucks. I'm going to write about this probably for Wednesday. You know, it's why Urban Meyer wasn't fired. Because Mm -hmm. building a culture where you just are expected to win and every team that you should beat by 40, you end up beating by 40. And every team you should beat by 14, you end up beating by 21. That's so hard to build, and you're looking at Texas who's trying to build a culture, and maybe they've turned the corner. But you look at Nebraska and Tennessee and some of the Florida, some of these teams that are just used to losing lately, you cannot build the culture unless you weed out the seniors and the guys that are used to losing, the guys that have no leadership ability whatsoever and get your own guys in there but that takes three to four years i mean florida state's another one the culture of florida state just ended it died in one year when jimbo gave up last year and now they can't figure it out and And that takes a whole group new group of people in there and that takes three to four years if you get all of the right guys all of the right guys and if all of those right culture guys the guys that you want to bring into your program buy into coming to a rebuild because a lot of those guys want to go to the Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama's where that culture is already set and they can go right in and do that. But you have to find guys that want to do a rebuild and have that mentality and they're all the right guys that they're not just saying the right things when you meet meet with them on the ca- on on their couch in their house, but they they legitimately are those players. So um, and and guys that will accept losing for a year or two um, that probably aren't used to losing for a year or two and struggling through those things. It's a very it's much more difficult than just Scott Frost is a bad coach or Willie Taggart's a bad coach or whatever else. It's far beyond that, um, and it's very very difficult to do. Luckily, they get millions of dollars to coach a football team, so that's wow. really their only job. And you got to get lucky too. I mean, yeah, oh get, yeah, definitely. You, you got to find a Nick Saban that can turn things around because Alabama wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire before he arrived there, and Clemson was used to Clemsoning before yeah. Dabo Swinney arrived there, and Ohio State wasn't exactly, you know, I mean, they were they were good under Trestle, obviously, but then when he got let go, things went downhill a little bit. So. You got to get that right guy, and I'm not sure if Scott Frost is that right guy. I'm not sure if Jeremy Pruitt's that right guy. All I know is, you know, to get a Kirby Smart, to get a Dabo Swinney, to get a, a Lincoln Riley, those type of guys where losing is unacceptable. Yeah. And if you actually do lose, um, there's hell to be, be paid, and they can find those guys that are leaders on offense and defense that, that can take over the locker room. When nobody's listening to the coach, they'll at least listen to the players themselves. I mean, look at Mac Wilson. You know, he was a backup. He was a five-star kid. Could have gone to any school in the country. Had to wait his turn. Jonathan Allen is another example. Um, these guys turned into leaders. And there's a reason they're leaders. is because they were taught how to lead 
by the guys ahead of them. So does Tennessee have anybody on their roster that can teach these guys to lead? Does, does Nebraska have anybody on their roster that can teach these guys to be leaders and to win? And I, I'm not really sure they do. So that's why when you win a national championship in the 90s or the early 2000s, it takes so long to get back. I mean, how long have we, we've been waiting for Tennessee to be back? Right. Butch was supposed to do it. Didn't happen. Yeah. How, how long have we been waiting for Nebraska? I know. And, 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 you know, you look around the country at programs. Look at Penn State. They were in maybe the worst situation a program has ever been in. The NCAA invited all of their players to transfer if they wanted to. They were dealing with a years-long scandal, uh, an embarrassing scandal, um, a, a historic coach that got fired. Um, and what, six years later? They're a top 10 team. They were in the Rose Bowl two years ago. They won the Fiesta Bowl last year. That's because James Franklin knows how to build a program and get those right guys, get the right players in there. And he had some luck along the way, you know. And teach them how to be winners as well. Because yeah. Trace McSorley was a winner in high school. He was a winner yeah. in peewee football. He was, but nobody wanted him as a quarterback. He was a three-star athlete for us. Coming out, I remember the schools that offered him other than Penn State never even really talked to him about being playing quarterback. You get a guy like that, and all of a sudden he's your leader. You know, Saquon's gone. He steps in. He's your guy. And now you're you're a tough out, and losing is unacceptable. And, um, you know, I still think Ohio State wins that football game, but um, Trace McSorley is not exactly the leading candidate I would have thought coming out of high school to be the leader of your football team, and, and here he is. Right. Yeah, so so those are long rebuilds. It's not something where just because Jeremy Pruitt is hired, and I'm sure he's a good football coach, and he has a proven track record of being a good football coach, that uh, that, that immediately becomes a, a, a good football program. He's got to weed out a lot of problems. He's got a lot of rebuilding to do. Jim Harbaugh is going through that. Everyone... Across football accepts that Jim Harbaugh is a very good football coach, but it takes a long time to get a lot of the problems out of that program. If he wants to run a specific offense and he doesn't have the guys to run that offense, he's got to kind of meld his offensive mindset and his coaching staff with the players there. It's just a very long process. The problem is, is these guys are making $8, $10 million a year, and people want to see results from day one. And also fans are, are nuts, and they expect – Jim Harbaugh to go in there and be a national contender from day one when the reality is that he had a team that was probably about six and six. And uh, is Michigan a national title contender again now? No, 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 no. <clears throat> they look pretty good. I know they're not playing good teams, but they look pretty good. I mean, the defense is, I think the defense is one of the best in the country, if not the best. Um, they're 14th in the country. It's not like it, they're outside the realm of contention. They're three and one. They have one loss to a top ten football team. Look at that. Look at their schedule coming up, though. That's they got the Northwestern, Maryland. That's not so bad. Then they got Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Penn State. But if they get through the, let's say they get through those five games, then they are right. They have to be. Well, yeah, then they are. But then they play Ohio State, and Ohio State's ten times better of a team. That's at the end of the season, and ten times better is a little rough. I don't know. That's you're gonna get some grief on the fort for that if anybody listens to this i'm gonna make you put this on the michigan board actually (laughs) you can't make me do it (laughs) no that's true i can't make you do anything i don't know i mean 
49-3 versus Western Michigan, 45-20 against SMU. Those are two bad football teams. 56-10 against Nebraska. I know they lost to Notre Dame. They'll beat Northwestern. They'll beat Maryland. I think they can beat Wisconsin. Michigan State's always trouble, especially at Michigan State. And then we'll see what Penn State is come November. But I don't know. They look pretty darn good. They've fixed their offensive line problems, at least to me. Yeah, well, I mean, for, for three games. I, I don't think we know much about Michigan right now. Nebraska was a team that looked like they were falling apart and had no game plan going into there. Scott Frost called it rock bottom, and it was pr- maybe below that. That's how bad it was. Uh, and Western Michigan's a joke, and SMU is terrible. So uh, I don't think we know much. We'll learn more about them. Northwestern will be an interesting game. They just lost their starting running back. Uh, he's retiring from football, so Michigan catches a break there. Maryland's not a terrible team. We'll see how they compete. I, you know, I think Jim Harbaugh's a very good coach. I think Shea Patterson changes up that offense. Uh, they're getting Donovan Peoples-Jones involved. Higdon is a phenomenal running back. The offensive line looks better against weaker competition, and I love the defense. So, yes, uh, I think they're a very, very talented football team. I think they'll have problems with Wisconsin. Michigan State always gives them problems. Penn State is at Michigan this year, so I think that benefits Michigan. And I I think Ohio State is a better football team. So uh, I don't want to rip Michigan here. I think they're very, very talented and getting better. There's no doubt that the offense is much improved. Um, You know, last year or two years ago, they would have won that game against Nebraska 24-3 or 24-7. Instead, this year they put points on the board. The, The offense is moving. Um, I'm just not sure that they're not a year away. But look at the teams ahead of them. So are, is Stanford better than Michigan? Is Stanford better than Michigan? Yes, Stanford went on the road and won at... Uh, oh, they got gifted. And won at Oregon. Victory. They got so lucky. They, they have, they're better at running back. They're better on the offensive line. They're not better at defense. And I think quarterback is a draw. Notre Dame beat them, so we can say Notre Dame's better than them, although the Notre Dame team that I've seen against Vanderbilt and Ball State he, is he not. Ian Book changes better. it all. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Penn State better than them? Yeah, yes. You, you're such a homer. <laughs> Penn State's not better than Michigan? What was the score last year? And the same players are on the field except for Shea Patterson. Is Auburn better than Michigan? You know, that's interesting. I don't think so. I think Auburn is a little overrated right now. Washington's not better than Michigan. <sighs> Washington better than Michigan. No, probably not. They lost to Auburn, and you just said Auburn wasn't better New- than Michigan. Yeah, but that was... Uh, you can't you can't go by that justification. You can certainly go by that. That's what I'm going by. Is West Virginia better than Michigan? Yes. Really? Yes, West Virginia, West Virginia is better than Michigan. Listen, I'm no big Harbaugh fan. I've said a lot of different things about him. I said that, yes, I think he's going to take his team to the playoff, and then, yes, he's the most overrated coach in college football. And I believe both of those things, honestly. I think right now Jim Harbaugh is the most overrated coach in college football. But I do believe he's going to take this team to the playoff, not this year, but maybe in the next two or three years. Uh, But when I look at this top five, six, whatever, Oklahoma slid behind LSU because of their awful game against Army. But – Stanford, Notre Dame, Penn State, Auburn, Washington, West Virginia. I mean, Michigan's just as talented as those teams. Oh, absolutely. But here's here's the issue, I think, as we go forward with Michigan, is if Shea Patterson leaves after this year, they're they're put back into a quarterback pickle where 
Uh, I'm not so sure Dylan McCaffrey is the guy that's putting 56 points on the board every week. Um, so Michigan fans better hope Shea Patterson decides not to leave for the NFL after this year and comes back. Well, he is six one, so he'll be drafted probably first overall, like Baker. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who actually looked good in his first game, of course. And all the quarterbacks that have been drafted in the first round, except Lamar Jackson, have looked very good at times. Although Sam Darnold's kind of fallen back a little bit, huh? Yeah, I, I think that's natural. As as teams see more of him, they figure him out, and uh, he is playing on the Jets, of course, which not exactly a Super Bowl contender. So, uh, who's the most underrated football team in college football right now? And they're in the Pac-12. They're in your your area. That would be Cal. Cal. Yeah, I, I didn't want to go there. You got to. First of all, they beat BYU. And who's okay. BYU beaten? Arizona. And Wisconsin. And Wisconsin. Took care of North Carolina. North Carolina just beat Pitt, but North Carolina is not a very good win. Idaho State, that doesn't really count. They no. could upset Oregon this weekend. It's at home. and In front of 14,000 yep. uh, crazy Maniac fans. fans. <laughs> Chase Garbers is a good quarterback, though. I know. He's very good. Uh, I'm telling you. That's a team to watch right now. They just snuck into the top 25. Uh, I think they could... They could sneak up on some teams because when I look at the other teams, Mississippi State, we know what they are. We know what they bring to the table. They couldn't take care of Kentucky, Texas Tech. Oh, there's my dog barking at nothing. <laughs> Michigan State, Duke, BYU, Oregon. I think maybe Texas you could probably put in this category if you wanted to as far as an underrated football team. But there's not a lot after the top 15 that I'm really impressed with. Yeah. Cal's an interesting team. I love Justin Wilcox. I love his coaching style, um, and the offense will take care of itself there. Garbers is very, very good. He's got some receivers to throw to, um, but Oregon's coming in mad. I think Oregon takes care of him pretty easily. I think we're done. We done? Yeah, it's been 50 minutes of horrible. Yeah, that's plenty. That's plenty. Plus, my dog won't shut up. (laughs) 